Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. Years ago, I heard a <coughs> pastor talking about his childhood and his mom had uh, lived a lifestyle where she rented herself out. There's short people here. The tall people all get that. <laughs> and uh, she became pregnant with the baby. And everyone wondered who it was. And as this little kid is growing up, the women in town would stop and look at his features. They would stop him and turn his head and look at his features, trying to figure out which man it was. <clears throat> and uh, he went to church one night to uh, hear a pastor, and he snuck in, and he sat near the back of the building. Everybody in town was at this place, and he snuck in the, and listened in the back of the building for this pastor and he said this pastor talking about God's love and God's mercy and all that and he said none of it made any sense to him and he wanted to slip out of the church building before any women could grab and do the turn his face thing and uh, so they went into the invitation hymn and the pastor disappeared and um, somebody prayed at the end of the invitation hymn and this kid turned and started out the door and this <clears throat> guest pastor that had been speaking there grabbed him as he went out the door and grabbed his face and looked at him. And he said, wait a minute. I recognize a semblance. And he goes, I know, who's, I know who your father is. And he's, this kid said, my blood froze and dropped to my feet and I wanted to die. And he said, the pastor said to him, young man, you are a child of the Most High God. Changed his life. He became a pastor himself. It's pretty cool. I love that story. You know, everybody wants to know that they have value, right? Maybe you did. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe your parents didn't play in you, but God did. And Jesus Christ gave His life for you, and God God knows you. And the reality is. Every one of us, one of our greatest needs is to know we're valued, right? That we matter, that we're not an accident, that we matter. So last week we talked about Jacob, who was sure he was always the smartest guy in the tent. All right. This week, let's talk about a guy whose self-esteem was actually like a smoldering dumpster fire. <laughs> All right. And the guy had no, no comprehension of his worth. Now, in our society, we tend to evaluate our value, our worth by four things, all right? <clears throat> In your notes. The first one is by appearance, right? How do I look? How do I look? You know, if I look good, I must be good. Um, I at least don't want to look bad. B, by achievement. What have I accomplished? Because if I have accomplished something that ordinary people haven't accomplished, then I must have a little bit more value. I must, something sets me apart from average people. By approval, how well am I liked? If people like me, I must be okay, right? Or D, by affluence, what do I own? 
What do I have that other people don't have? What do I have that sets me apart and makes me above average? The problem is not a single one of those things is stable. They change all the time. Can your appearance change? Did you look in the mirror today, right? Can your appearance change? Yeah, you know, what's really weird is in my head, I still picture the 30-year-old me. But every morning when I go in to take a shower, my dad is in the bathroom mirror with me. And I don't know how that happened. It's really a strange thing. Can someone accomplish more than you? Yep. Can public opinion about you change? Have you watched the political polls? Can your assets wear out or break or lose value? Absolutely they can. So a year ago this past February, I bought $200 of Ethereum as an experiment. I have friends that are making a killing in that stuff, and I don't, I don't want to be a part of it because I know what the death of it is. But I just wanted to watch and see what happens. So I bought $200 of Ethereum. Ethereum is part of the system that moves and exchanges Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. All right, so I thought... Well, if those currencies are doing good, then this ought to do good. That's what I'm thinking. So I bought $200. Man, about eight months after that, it was worth $1,500. Steph is going, you need to cash that out. I'm like, it's just an experiment. We're going to ride this out. Let's see where this goes. Yeah, about a month ago, it was worth $200. <laughs> Yesterday, it was worth $458. I don't understand why. It's not real. <laughs> and none of it's real, so it really kind of messes with your head. But if you want to build legitimate, real, uh, I mean, a, a stable self-value, you got to build it on something that doesn't change. And the only thing in the universe that isn't going to change, that, is direct, that directly affects you, is God's view of you how God sees you. Now, last week we talked about how the greatest change happens in our life when God deals with our identity. How important that is that we see ourselves from God's point of view. Don't let someone else tell you what you, what you are or who you are. Don't let your insecurities or your arrogance tell you who you are or what you are. But let's deal with who God thinks we are, who God says we are. And I'll tell you a great example of this is a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Um, he, he lived in Jericho. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. See, I know which ones of you grew up in church. And when Jesus came to town, Zacchaeus wanted to at least get a glimpse of him, but he had an encounter with Jesus that totally changed the direction of his life. Now, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, and made his way through the town. Okay, let's do a traditional hard stop here. Let me give you a little background on Jericho so you can understand what we're talking about when we talk about the town of Jericho. It's not a big place. Jericho was the first town conquered by Joshua and the Israelites when they came out of the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and crossed into the promised land. It was the first town they went in and they conquered. In today's Palestinian territory is where Jericho is located now. Or if you look at a map... Of Israel, there's the Jordan River comes down kind of the middle of it. And on the left bank or the west bank is 
the Palestinian territory. It's where Jericho is. So when you hear them talk about the West Bank, they're talking about the West Bank or the left bank as you look at the map of the Jordan River. Um, remember in the Christmas story when the wise men went to King Herod and said, hey, tell us where is the king of the Jews is born? And Herod goes, well, that's a great question. Why don't you figure it out and come back to me and I'll go worship him too? And God warned the kings not to go back or warned the wise men not to go back. And that made uh, Herod mad. So Herod knew he needed to wipe out this king who might try to take his throne. So since he couldn't find him, he had all the little boys under two years of age in the land put to death. All right. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus escaped to Egypt quickly. Two years they're there. Two years after all the children are killed in Israel, Herod dies. He dies at his palace in Jericho. All right, so Jericho was still a pretty well-known town. Jericho is also uh, the scene where uh, Jesus healed a blind guy, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And it's also where Jesus set, just south of Jericho and a little bit west of Jericho, is where Jesus set the story of the Good Samaritan. All right, so that's, why, that, that, that's some of the stuff you've seen from the town. Jericho at the time of Jesus probably wasn't any bigger than our church property here, about six to eight acres, just a few hundred people living there. It could have been as high as 2,000, uh, but not, not, not anything more than that. So that gives you an idea of the town. And by the way, the roads in the town were about as wide as this line right here where we tell people not to stand because of that camera right there. That was a road in town. So it would be easy to have a crowded road really quick, like two people make it crowded. So that's where, that's where Jesus is going into. All right, now back to Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, he's a Roman IRS guy, in the region. And he had become how rich? Very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus I love this line, underline this to the period. But he was too short to see over the crowd. I always picture Danny DeVito in other people's money. All right, that just seems like the perfect caricature for Zacchaeus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. So it's not a big town. There's not a lot of roads. It's easy to predict where Jesus has to end up if he's going to pass all the way through the town. But Zacchaeus, he's got absolutely zero expectation of interacting with Jesus. All he wants to do is just get a glimpse of this famous guy when he goes by. Zacchaeus is, is like the poster child of people who don't sense their own value before God. Now, I know you just flip pages. Go back to the front page for a second. Let's evaluate Zacchaeus based on those four ways we tend to evaluate ourselves. All right, his appearance. Tradition tells us he was literally the shortest man in Jericho. You say, oh, well, that's interesting. No, when the Bible calls him short, the Bible uses a word in the Greek that means the body of an undeveloped child. Isn't that interesting? That's how small he was. All right, his achievement. Well, his success is based on manipulating people and cutting deals with tyrants. <laughs> he's not really done anything he can be proud of at this point. He's wealthy, but he's wealthy not by money he's earned, but by money he extorted. 
All right, the next one, his approval. Huh, there was none. People hated this guy. He had to have bodyguards because people hated this guy. He collected taxes for the Roman invaders, for the Roman dogs, the occupiers. And he extorted his people on behalf of the occupiers, his affluence. Well, the one thing that he has a lot of other than money is loneliness. He is as lonely as he is wealthy. He didn't even like himself. But he's going to have an experience that's going to begin to change everything. Listen, if you came here today feeling down on yourself, if you came here today feeling lonely, if you came here today feeling unloved or out of place, can I just tell you, you're in the right place. Because this story today is going to give us three truths on which we should value, which we should base our self-value, how we look at ourselves. All right, truth number one. No matter how insignificant I feel, Jesus notices me. Again, Zacchaeus was as lonely as he was wealthy. He literally wanted to be invisible. When he heard Jesus had come to town, he wanted to get a glimpse, but he couldn't because he, he's short. So he did two things no well-known, no wealthy Middle Eastern man at that time would have done. He ran through the crowd, just for historical context, you need to know, in Israel, tax collectors often died very public deaths with zero witnesses. <laughs> so here he is, he runs through a hostile crowd, and then he climbed a tree. Men don't climb trees. Boys climb trees. Men don't run through crowds. Boys run through crowds. So that behavior shocked the locals. When they see this guy, they all know, do those two things. Except what's interesting is the shocking stuff hasn't even started yet. <laughs> Verse 5. Jesus, he walked straight through that town, through the in, uh, entire assembled population of the town, walked straight up to that tree and what's he do he looked up he stops that there's got to be kids and trees everywhere and yet he stops at this one tree can you imagine Zacchaeus's physical response his heart starts to pound he looks and here's the guy here's the most famous teacher in all of Israel he's stopping he's 10 feet away he's looking up at the tree. There's no doubt who he's looking at. Zacchaeus, his heart probably stops. Then it starts pounding real hard. He can probably hear it in his ears. His eyes are probably wobbling in their sockets. His adrenaline's taking him to the point of panic to where maybe he's shaking. But as he's sitting there and he's looking down, you can just almost hear what's going on in his head. What's happening? What's he looking at me? What's happening? Oh, man. You know why Jesus stopped and looked up? Because that's where Zacchaeus was. Jesus knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. Listen, God knows exactly where you are today. You may feel like you're up a tree today. You may feel like you've been treed today. <laughs> you may feel like you're out on a limb 
today in some area of your life. You may think God never notices you, but if I may paraphrase that famous theologian, Sting, <laughs> God has always seen every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take. He's been watching you. Every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, he's been watching. By the way, do you realize how many is, I just downloaded a 70s album this week, hits from the 70s. Do you realize in the 1970s, we were a bunch of human traffickers and stalkers? Bunch of pedophiles in the 70s writing music. Holy smokes, I can't listen to half the songs I bought this week. Sorry, that was free. This is a warning about downloading 70s albums. Never have you been outside of God's view, ever. We have a hard time imagining that God pays that much attention to us. You know why? We don't pay that much attention to God. So the fact that he would do that to us kind of blows our minds. And you may feel you don't matter to God. You may feel, you know, I don't even know if God knows I'm alive. God has felt every feeling you have ever felt as you felt it. The Old Testament says that God even collects our tears. That's how much he understands the sorrow, the grief we've had. You matter. Listen, watch what Jesus said in Luke 12. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? You know, there was a day when we all collected pennies. Nowadays, if we're cleaning the car and we're vacuuming it, and there's a penny, <laughs> nobody's chasing down the pennies anymore, right? I know now if I drop a penny, I'll watch to see where it lands, but it hurts too much to get down there and get it, so it's gone. It's not going to happen. But that's his point. Nobody worries about the copper coin. Nobody worries about those, that little currency. Watch this. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You know, the deepest expression of love is attention. You're only going to get so many minutes, so many seconds on earth. And when you spend those giving attention to someone, you're giving them something you can't have back. It's gone. That's why the most valuable thing you can give someone is attention. When you don't pay attention to your spouse or your kids, you're being unloving. You're denying them the limited time that you have. See, because God loves you with a love you can't imagine, God has always, 100% of the time, paid attention to you and all the details about you. Remember when you were little? Or maybe you've got toddlers now and you've, you've seen this. When you were little and you did something you were proud of, you would yell, Daddy, watch me. Mom, watch. Watch. You know adults do the same thing? We just do it differently. We do it by the clothes we wear. Watch me. We do it by what we pay for shoes. Check it out. These are Air Tonys. <laughs> Highly valuable. 
most comfortable shoes I've ever owned. That's why I wear them all the time. Somebody goes, you wear work, work boots all the time? Oh, yeah. We do it by the kind of car we drive. We do it by the way we fix up our houses, by the way we keep our lawn. We do it by the way we talk, by the way we style our hair. It's all screaming, watch me, because if we didn't care what other people were watching about us, we wouldn't worry about it, right? We have a deep need to be noticed. God is always noticing you 100% of the time. All right, truth number two. No matter what other people say, Jesus affirms me. So all of his life, Zacchaeus has been ridiculed. First, for his appearance, and later on, for his actions. So it started off with his appearance, over which he had no control, but then it included the actions over which he did. I cannot imagine the kind of gossip the kind of cruel remarks floating around a town of 800 people. Anybody ever live in a town like 800 people or less? Not the greatest place in the world to live. Maybe it was when Andy Griffith lived there in Mayberry, but I'm telling you, the rest of the United States is pretty cruel the smaller the town. But I can't imagine what they were saying about this guy who was extorting them. But in a town that small, he had to know what they were saying. There's no way not to know. But Jesus had more surprises for Zacchaeus yet. Back to verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him what? By name. Zacchaeus. Man, can you imagine the shock? The guy's already hyperventilating because Jesus is looking at him. Now Jesus says his name. You could just picture Zacchaeus. He said, my name. My name came out of his mouth. How does he know my name? God not only knows where you are, God knows who you are. God knows who you are. He's not an impersonal force that sits up in the sky and says, ha, humans, what are you going to do? He knows you by name. He cares about you personally and individually. So when Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his name in front of that crowd, it shocked the crowd. I mean, this was like a visible wave going through the crowd because the crowd is now asking, why would the most popular, purest rabbi in town stop and interact with an unclean traitor? Why? Would he know the name of the biggest scoundrel in town? Remember how Jacob's name represented his lifelong struggle? You know what Zacchaeus' name meant? Pure one. Pure one. It'd be like calling a seven-foot-tall kid shorty. Yeah, it's just not going to make any sense. And then as they look at him... And they're thinking, wait, he is working with a traitor. He's talking to a traitor while all of us good sons of Abraham are gathered around. That's not a real son of Abraham in the tree. And yet he's ignoring all of us good people, all of us who are true sons of Abraham. And he's mocking our culture by calling this guy pure one. You know what? I hear that name, Pure One. 
I can almost feel a mother's love for a newborn baby as it's laid on her breast. And as the first thing she does is hold up those little hands and count fingers. (laughs) And then grab the feet and count toes. And as she's doing that inventory, and she's holding that baby up, she sees that maybe his head is a little bigger than it should be. I mean, Lord knows it felt big. (laughs) But it's bigger than it felt. And she looks and she thinks, well, the arms don't look exactly right. And you can see the midwife standing over going, the legs aren't right either. Something the midwife has seen before, and she explains it. And a mom holding her newborn realizes that with this disability, he is going to struggle all of his life. And you can hear in that name, pure one, how sweet and how innocent he must have been as a toddler, completely unaware that he was different. That he was different from other kids, different from other children. And so wanting to fit in and so loving and kind to people that his mom looked at this innocent child and called him pure one. Well, the average male life expectancy at that time was 35 years of age. So if you're 36 or above, you were on borrowed time. So by his teen years, his dad would have been long gone. And it was the son's job to take care of his mother, and he needed to find a way to care for her. And begging wouldn't have brought in enough money for him to do his duty and take care of his mom. There's no job he could have done that would have paid to care for her financially. But he wanted her to have the security that a loving mom should have. Society had been cruel to him with this disability because of his disability. By the way, this disability thing in that culture was a big deal because if a baby was born disabled, the question was, and you'll remember there's another time where people came to Jesus and said, hey, this kid, something's not right with him. Whose sin is that? Is that mom's sin or is that the kid's sin? Did his parents sin and God, you know, gave them a deformed child because the parents were evil? This is their punishment? Or the other theory was, this kid who's got this disability is going to do something so evil in his life that God started punishing him from birth, even before he committed the sin. That was literally how people explained these things. And so adults would have ostracized his sinner mom because she must have done something for him to be born this way. And parents would have kept their children away from him, denying him any social interaction because you don't want the kids to catch whatever sin he's got coming. But he took it all in stride because he loved his mom and she loved him. And he was going to be a good son. He was going to fulfill his duty to take care of her. They were a team and surviving together. She had helped him when he was young and helpless, and now he's going to help her as she becomes older and helpless. So he'd learned to ignore what those who mistreated him and his mom thought about him and his mom. And he happened to find a job he could do. He found a job 
that would allow him to fulfill his duty to care for his mother and maybe just a little bit stick it to the people that had made her life hard. That led Zacchaeus down a road to where he was anything but pure. You know, when Jesus stood at the bottom of that tree and called him pure one, I wonder how many years it's been since he actually heard his name from someone else's mouth. Not some derivative, not some slang, not some evil, cruel nickname, but someone calling him by his given name. And yet, despite his reputation, Jesus comes through all these other people in town and stands in front of him and basically says, you got a lot of baggage, bro. I see past the baggage, and I see that I created you not to be a crook, but to be a pure one. In my eyes, that's your, that's your life, is to be a pure one. Jesus lifted up someone who was accustomed to be being put down by everybody else. You know, the apostle Paul would later write Ephesians 2. For we are God's, what? Masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do things that he planned for us long ago. Listen, before you, were, before you were even born, God planned the things he wanted you to do with your life. But most people never get to do all those things because God also gives you the freedom to reject him and not do those things. And that's what most people do. That's what most of us have done. But masterpieces are created by a master craftsman who carefully and lovingly chooses every detail, every piece that goes into this work. And I'll tell you what, God lovingly chose every detail of your life, even the disabilities. You may not like them, you may not understand them, but God had a plan for them in your life and it was a plan for good it's up to you whether you choose to grab them or not. Look at Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. But sometimes we tell ourselves, God has forgotten me. God doesn't know what's going on with me. Look at Isaiah 49. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. And Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and God said through him, I remember you. I know exactly who you are. Some of you, you've been rejected by your family. David wrote in Psalm 27, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. God does not forget you, and he still calls you for what he made you to do, who he made you to be. Truth number three, no matter what I've done, Jesus wants me, which is amazing to me because there's many a day I don't want me, Right? This is the biggest mind blower, I think, of all of it. Verse 5 again, when Jesus came by, and looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, pure one. He said, quick, come down. 
I must be a guest in your home today. This is absolutely unthinkable. The most famous rabbi in all of their nation walks all the way through town in the midst of a crowd, bumping into people, touching people, blessing people, healing people, and then he stops and he looks up and he starts a conversation with a tree-climbing scoundrel. And he says to him, hey, we're having dinner, get down. (laughs) You're buying. (laughs) Your place. Of all these people, I want to have dinner with you. The reaction of the crowd was swift, and it was brutal. Look at Luke 19.7. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They, what? Grumbled. Okay, this is funny. It's actually the word we translate murmur, which is almost the same in every one of the languages in the world. The word murmur. Because murmur is an onomatopoeia, meaning it is a word that imitates a sound. If you, walk into a fun, uh, if you walk into a full room of people and you hear them talking softly, you know what it sounds like? Murmur, murmur, murmur. Just that's what it sounds like. Everybody, like everybody's saying the same thing. Murmur, 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 murmur. They were so angry that it turned into a murmur wave. <laughs> And you could hear them all with their voices lowered and know what they were doing. You see, Jesus knew Zacchaeus was carrying so much guilt that like a lot of us, we would never presume to invite Jesus to come back to our house. It's not clean. There's stuff in it. I don't want him to know. They wouldn't presume to invite the most famous rabbi ever to their house. Can we be really brutally honest for a sec? The truth is, each one of us, every one of us here today, has done some things. We have done some stuff we should feel shame about. We should feel ashamed of how we've behaved. We have hurt others with our own brand of selfishness. And the reality is we're all basically selfish until God affects our identity. Listen, Jesus came and called you by name Not to condemn you, but to save you, to change you. Look at John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love that part of the verse. But to me, that's not the best part of the verse. The best part of the verse, most of us don't ever ever even learn. Listen to verse 17. It explains verse 16. For or because... This is why God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't walk through that crowd that day to condemn anyone. He walked through there to save the worst. I love that. All right, conclusion. How should you respond to that kind of a God that will walk through a crowd and find you? You do it the way way Zacchaeus did. Verse 6. Zacchaeus, how quickly? Right? Very quickly. This guy is shaking from an adrenaline dump. They're probably about to watch a deformed guy bounce down out of a tree, literally. (laughs) All right? He's going to come down fast. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. How? In great excitement and joy. 
I mean, picture the munchkins in the yellow brick road. I mean, he is dancing his way back to his house. This dude is flipping out. As they ate supper and talked, there is a flip in the switch inside of Zacchaeus' head. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus, verse 8, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, circle these three words, I will give. Did Jesus tell him what he had to do? No, he, he of, of his own free will, his own volition, he made a decision. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, oh, circle these three words again. I will give them back four times as much. Now, this last line that we're going to read right here, I love this because this is Jesus. People are standing outside the windows of this house listening to what's happening inside and shouting it back. They're playing like the telegraph game and people are shouting back. Jesus is about to take a dig at the window listeners. Watch what he says. Jesus responded to Zacchaeus' free will choices. Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a what? A true son of Abraham. Of all those descended from Israelites here today, this one is the most Israelite. This one is the most of my people. And in that moment, the most selfish man in the city of Jericho became the most generous man in the, 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 the city of Jericho. What happened? Like Jacob, his walk immediately changed for the rest of his life. But it wasn't a physical limp. It was a mental change. Zacchaeus' actions were, Zacchaeus said, you know what, everyone I stole from, I'm going to give back four times what I extorted him for. And since I probably don't have records that are going to cover everything, I'm just going to give away all my other stuff. I, I will. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take half my wealth and I'm going to give it away. So I've got to take care of my mom, but I'm going to give everything else away. Zacchaeus's actions were a public demonstration of the change of the conversion. So for you and me today, there's an obvious one that a lot of us jump past we try to explain away. For us in Christ, that initial public demonstration of the change is called baptism. It's done by immersion, and I'll show you why. Baptism is a symbol that I am a changed person. It's not a symbol that I'm perfect, because I'm still, still going to sin. It's going to drive me crazy, but I'm headed in a new direction. It works like this. Watch Romans chapter 6. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is, that's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. 
Each of us is raised into a light-filled world, a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we are going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? When we lay a person down into the water, it is that person saying, my old life is dead, is buried, is washed away and gone. And when we bring them up out of the water, that's them saying, I have a new direction. I'm starting with a clean slate. I can choose new. Listen, if you claim to be a Christ follower, you need to make that decision public. Doesn't have to be in front of a big group like this, be in front of a couple of your friends. But you need to be obedient in that. And I want to give you a chance to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that you made each of us for a reason, and we want to get to know you, and we want to live out that reason. We thank you for noticing every detail of our lives. Lord, we can't imagine that kind of love because we've never, we've never offered it to anyone else. But you've always been loving us. You've always been watching every second of our life. Thank you for seeing our potential in spite of our sin. Thank you for wanting us in spite of what we've done. Father, today we surrender to you and to your love. We invite you to be in our lives. Take over our minds. Make changes in us that turn us from being takers and thieves into givers. Father, today make all of us, those who've never begun the walk with you, those who have begun it and have stalled, Father, make us into who you created us to be. Thank you for not being ashamed of our failures, but loving us and hoping for us anyway. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray.